This week, we're joined by Ben, Global CEO of CX at Ipsos, to have a convo about how far CX has come for the past couple of decades and the true meaning of CX maturity. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucas. Great to meet you. Thanks for the invite. No worries at all. Uh, do you want to give a quick intro and maybe explain uh, what a CEO of CX does? Yeah, so it's an interesting one because most of the time I get asked about would I like to buy customer experience services from uh, different vendors and I actually have to explain, no, that's what I do. <laughs> um, it's a, a pain of my email inbox. So what my role is at Ipsos, uh, we run 17 different types of businesses across Ipsos, right? So we do brand tracking, innovation. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through all 17 of them. And one of them is customer experience. And so I look after that service line uh, in which we run in around 50 of the 90 Ipsos countries. So I look after and run the teams that from countries such as the US, our largest market, to smaller markets as far flung as Ecuador, uh, Thailand, Thailand, Korea, uh, South Africa, basically pretty global. And, And my role in that is to... Uh, arrange and look after the go-to-market strategy, um, making sure our offers up to date, and uh, really driving our performance and execution with our clients. I love that. So we'll definitely, definitely get to unpick some of those uh, regional, regional differences. There, I hope I don't so. think, uh... It's been a long time <laughs> since I've been to any of them, so we'll see. <laughs> get to get to practice your language as well. So yeah, let's uh let's let's jump into the uh the the Movember special, I'll call it. Yeah, yeah, you you're doing a better job than I. I've just gone for the unpaid. I'm trying. It's, it's the longest I've ever gone, so it's still still yeah. strong. So uh yeah, Ben, let's uh, let's jump into my favorite part of the show, which is uh right. the customer experience pitch. So yeah. this is a part where I give you an imaginary CX scenario and you pitch your answer in 30 seconds. Ready? Okay, let's go for it. All right. Given that you head up CX for one of the biggest research organizations in the world, you've been given the one-of-a-kind opportunity to address the entire CX community in 30 seconds. From every customer service frontline rep to every chief customer officer, they're all looking up to you and stage is yours. Okay. So I believe that we are exceptionally lucky to be working in one, if not the most compelling areas in business today. CX is really where it's at. It is driving organizations. It's one of the top agendas, uh, item agendas for every CEO at the moment. It's on a huge growth curve momentum. And the best bit is we're only at the tip of the iceberg. Right on the dot. (laughs) You might have thought I'd have rehearsed that, right? Almost. It's usually I I usually look at the guest size though because some some have actually rehearsed it like they have a paper down and they're looking at it. Uh, you can you can tell by the amount of times I got my words jumbled that there was no rehearsal <laughs> in that. Just all natural, all natural. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Ben. Um, I guess we can we can jump into you as a CX professional because obviously yeah. you know, you've you, you've been around the profession for a while and you know, I'm sure you've you've seen a lot of things and you've done a lot of things. I guess um. You know, if you take a step back and you look at your over your overall career, like mm. what's the one adjective you would use to describe yourself as a CX professional and uh, why? Um, well, that's a tough one. I think ambitious, which I don't want to use 
or come across in the wrong way there. But the ambition has to be that you're always wanting to do something better and different and, and not just settle for the norm. And I think historically that's been a bit of a problem in the CX space. And only the last kind of, I, I'd say five years, Mm-hmm. Has the sector itself really accelerated um, from what it was to what it is now and indeed what it will be? So, yeah, I, I would stick on ambition, but a slightly different interpretation. Right, right. I guess looking at the whole uh, timeline of things, how much how much would you say that your approach to CX has changed over, over decades? Oh, hugely. I mean, I, I can remember... So when I first started out in market research in 1997, I didn't start out in the, the CX space or back then it would have been called satisfaction or something like <laughs> that, right? So I remember I first started doing CX work in Mal- when I moved to Malaysia in 2003. And back then okay. it was truly a KPI. Um, it wasn't because I was in... Asia, I think it, that was universal. We were working on regional and global programs and it was just a number. Collect a number, report a number, uh, walk away, come back next time and thank you very much. I remember one great example of that with a, one of the biggest companies in Malaysia. I won't name the sector because it might give it away. And we used, every quarter we present the results for the CX work, as we would call it now. Yep. You get maybe 10 people turn up to the presentation. In December, you'd get 60 people, no joke whatsoever. <laughs> and you'd put up the first slide and it would have their score, uh, their satisfaction score this year versus last year. Yep. As soon as they saw that number, they leave the presentation like 45 out of the 60 people because they just wanted it for their um, bonus because they got bonused on it. And, you know, that's like not your highlight of your career when the half the room empties after your first slide. But that's kind of what it used to be. And that was the struggle, right? It, it was seen as boring, dull KPI to beat people over the head with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, that's, that's crazy, first of all, <laughs> that example itself. Um, but... I mean, looking at it now, looking at it just just from my point of view, you know, I haven't been in CX for uh, for a few years now. Obviously, yeah, the game has changed almost completely from from the way that you described it. I guess maybe looking at it, looking at it from from that timeline point of view, I guess what would you say was uh, one of the biggest catalysts um, that's propelled CX to 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 a bigger seat at the table? I uh, no doubt the advent of technology and the impact, like you know, it's had on many sectors and areas of our own life, be it business or personal, right? So it's um, it really started to impact, I think, the customer experience world from our company's perspective and how we did work and how our clients started to gather customer feedback and take action on it. I really think it started to kick in kind of 2014, 2015. That was mm-hmm. like the tipping point. And now we just seem to be I guess if you visualize the roller coaster, we're still on the speedy bit down rather than the slow climb yeah. up. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's been a huge tipping point. And then the advent of, of data and what that means to companies and mm. the access they can get to data and you mix the feedback and the data that they hold and then you've got something super powerful. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. What particular technology would you say was uh, one of the biggest catalysts? 
Um, well, I think, you know, you've got the SaaS companies that are directly operating in the CX space. So you've got your Medallias and Qualtrics of this world. Mm. And I think then you couple that up with the CRMs of the sales forces and so on and the oracles, et cetera. And when you start to harmonize all those, and not many companies really do that brilliantly well right now, mm. but when you can and when you do, then you get something that can be really impactful. But I think the technology end-to-end -end as well in terms of what the customer gets, now what the customer, you, I, expects, yep. and the ability for them to voice their feedback either personally to the company, mm -hmm. socially on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, whatever yep. channel they're using, you know, it's made that customer's experience so much more impactful and, and valuable to make sure you get it right. Mm. Uh, that's, that's very interesting. And obviously, technology has really become almost the, the, the unique selling point of a lot of companies as well and how they kind of leverage technology to make changes, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right in what you say. I think as in, again, many walks of life, where the best outcomes come uh, source from is when you manage to merge and harmonize the tech and the human side, the human interpretation. Yep. Tech can't do it all. What it mm. can do is make things easier, faster, at scale. Yep. Um, yep. But you still need that human interpretation to actually make sense of it all and understand yeah. what the application within a business is. That experience really, isn't it? Um, yeah. Just again, kind of going into the idea of, of technology and AI and kind of what is the value of that if it isn't the ultimate judgment of a human being, right? Using that experience yeah. and using using their um, what they know best in applying that technology. So no, I guess exactly. You miss certain emotions, right? You can't, you miss things like empathy, sympathy, um, trust, judgment. Mm. It's harder to do that still with tech, I I guess there's a day probably not that far away when that will be taken care of as well. <laughs> Interesting. And then I'll need to look for another job. But yeah, until then. <laughs> until then, we're good. Um, yeah. It's interesting the way you mentioned how technology has made such a, such a big impact into CX and kind of, you know, changed the approach and obviously created a lot of jobs and created a lot of momentum for the, for right. the profession. So it's almost like, you know, technology and, and vendors and SaaS is, almost has a seat at the table now and kind of a CX conversation. I guess, how have you seen that balance out, right? Because, you know, ultimately, ultimately, you know, you, the CXer, you make those decisions, you, you leverage technology, but then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, you have technology vendors having much bigger say in how things work as well. So how do you, how has that balance changed? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic at the moment, really, because, you know, absolutely the SaaS vendors have a seat at the table more, more than that, that, you know, they're really driving the agenda a lot mm. in terms of the customer feedback part of it and, and how that's gathered and then disseminated. I think different clients for us are looking for different things. So you will get some clients that want to buy a pure technology off the shelf that's kind of plug and play. It's not simple as that, but let, let's use that and we can look after it ourselves. We have other clients who go down the other route where they want someone to look after the tech for them, manage it, 
derive insights, outcomes, work on the UX part of things as well. So it really varies the need, the need requests. I mean, again, I'll give you a really simple example. We had a client, uh, this was in Colombia that we were working with, and they decided they wanted to go down the tech only route. And about six months later, they came back to us and said, we, we bought this tech. The tech's great. There's nothing wrong with it. But we've no way, no governance in our organization to make sure it's used in the right way. And they had, they claimed, 26 versions of an MPS question in their organization. I, I'm not sure how you can do 26 <laughs> versions. I mean, that's like a quiz, right? But, you know, it was crazy because what they did is they bought the license, they threw it out, and nobody really knew how to use it correctly. So you had all these different iterations and therefore inconsistencies in what was going on. So, you know, technology is great, but it has to be used right and appropriately. Yeah? Right. That's so interesting. And obviously, you know, kind of looking at the, the, the spectrum of a, a CX skill set, obviously technology plays a big piece in there. But yeah. as, as we mentioned already, technology vendors want to have a bigger seat at the table. They want to be able to lead kind of the direction that the profession is heading in. Yeah. And that's where you start seeing things like maturity models surfacing, for yeah. example, right? So, yeah. you know, that's some of the things that, that you've seen, not only in CX, actually, just across the wider SaaS landscape. And, you know, technology providers putting together maturity models to help companies. Um, so I guess when it comes to maturity models and kind of, you know, helping maybe theorize or put together frameworks for customers, um, yeah. what are some of the some of the pitfalls that you've seen there um, from a technology um, standpoint? Well, I think maturity models are great, and I, I'm not going to knock that at all because we we've got our own at Ipsos. We have a maturity model, and hmm. you know we love doing that work, and it's really good at grounding clients where they are and where they aspire to be, and road mapping how they're going to get there. So I think maturity models definitely have a place. Um, I think the danger is trying to force fit. At one model, the same model every time to the different clients, right? And then you get into a very sticky situation. Um, I was talking to a colleague in Hong Kong this morning, actually, who's just completed doing one uh, for a client out there. And he said, look, I took our framework and I kind of flipped it on its head, approached it in a different way, okay. still used the framework overall, but didn't collect the info and report it in the same way. You know, part of me is like tearing my hair out and saying, <laughs> you know, there's another maturity model just being created. But on the other hand, you can't just approach every scenario with the same, the same uh, kind of level of detail and expect the client to respond and say, yeah, we want to do it exactly that way in Hong Kong, the way, same way they did it in um, the yep. UAE. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So I guess in that Hong Kong example, was it that they chose to report it differently based on how the organization structured that, it? Actually, what they did is we, in our model, we have a quantitative framework where we have a set of questions to ask key stakeholders in the organization and you get scores across various different metrics. He said, no, we don't want to do that. We're just going to do some qualitative, unstructured interviews, basically have a conversation like you and I are having now mm -hmm. and talk about customer experience in the organization. And he felt with that client, that was a much better way to go about things. We, we also do that normally, but 
he just bends the whole measurement part of it. Yeah. So, yep. you know, great. It works for them. No problem for that. But that's what I mean. I, I think different approaches culturally sometimes makes a difference as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get better feedback from that open dialogue. Interesting. So obviously, when designing maturity models, taking into consideration some of those cultural nuances, regional right. nuances, company-specific um, yeah. things as well. Um, so that's interesting. Any, I love that Hong Kong example as well. Any kind of other standout examples that you've had from how maturity differs across regions? Um, I just, you know, I, I kind of, if I link it to benchmarks as well, because it, a similar kind of question, I explain why. You get a lot of companies all over the world, not one particular country or region, that are very, very concerned about how they benchmark versus others. And the same happens with maturity models. And, you know, what's good and works in, you know, Indonesia, what you benchmark yourself, what you compare yourself with, shouldn't be the same as what you do in Mexico, right? It just, Hmm. you know, it's comparing apples and oranges. So... I think with all of these things like maturity models and to be honest, any of the advisory work that we do, something we always say is we give you the framework. We, we have the service, we have the solution, but you don't stick to it 100%. You yeah. have to take into the local nuances. That's one of the things I love about my job is that because we have that geographic spread, working with so many different markets and, and types of clients, each one's unique and different and being locally represented in those markets is is huge for us. No, me in the UK, I can't understand what's going on the ground <laughs> in Indonesia and Jakarta, right? Yep. But that's, you know, it, it is a bit of a science and that's kind of what I like in the sense that it's evolving yeah. so much that, you know, you, you do get some of these very niche models, but it's also a matter of uh, instinct as well, isn't it? When you are responsible for CX regionally, the reason I ask this is because, uh, so I know that you've been a judge, uh, a CX yeah. judge at International yeah. CX Awards. So I'm kind of curious how, from your point of view, how you you judge the maturity of someone's approach to CX. Because, you know, you get applicants from all over the world and all, all yeah. of them design CX in their own uniquely different ways, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And the ability that they have to do something, you know, we've spoken a lot about technology, but there might be limiting factors in the geography they're in, right? Um so you have to try and take into account what's appropriate and relevant within their market um, and to say, well, look, they could have done this, but they didn't do that. And so when judging at those international, it was my first time last week doing that on the international mm-hmm. awards. It's kind of tough, right? You know, you had an entrance there from Turkey, Saudi, um, where else do we have? Europe, so in Russia. Um, yeah, and it's very, very different in terms of the expectations. But what's an amazing achievement for one organization might seem very little to yeah. another, but actually the hurdles, the challenges overcome can be quite impressive. Maybe if you could share a quick standout story from any of the any of the applicants. Well, I don't know how much I'm breaking confidentiality, <laughs> right? And we haven't we haven't presented Keep everything anonymous. <laughs> we haven't presented the awards yet. So um, but no, um I, you know, so for example, one entrant was specifically about the website that they built because I judged a category called digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And it was really impressive, the website. 
that they built. Yeah, I mean, to help with their customers and the processes they had to go through. So there's no doubt it was a really impressive achievement for some of the barriers that they'd overcome. Another entrant was a lot simpler than that. And it was just about how they could reduce uh, submission time and paperwork, right? Okay. And you, you look at that, and I've just told that, and I'm almost like looking at it and thinking, God, that, that sounds really dull. But what that company achieved or organization achieved to overcome this was just, you know, quite remarkable given the environment within which they were operating, the bureaucracy within which they mm-hmm. operated. So, you know, two very different stories completely different directions, but both remarkable in the way that they achieved yeah. uh, the outcomes that they did. Let me, uh, let me throw your curveball your way. <clears throat> yeah. If you, uh, let's say if you were in your, in your early twenties, just taking on CX uh, from the very beginning and you had to pick a region where you would try to, you know, elevate the maturity in which region or country. Would uh, easy for me. Cause I lived there for 13 years. Um, Asia. Um, you know, things move. I loved living and working there. Um, things move so quickly. The exposure you can get to different clients, senior executive level, decision makers, far exceeds anything I would say you'd probably get in a Western market. And I think from that perspective, I would definitely start there. <laughs> I love that. If uh, anyone listening is on the verge, now you've got your motivation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, if you're in the CX world and you're looking for a role in Asia, drop me a line because we're always looking for great talent. I love that. All right, Ben. So let's jump into the quick fire five question round. Uh, we'll sure. give you five questions and answer as quickly as you can. Okay. If you were to play sports for a living, what would you play? Golf. Not because I'm good at it, but because... The places you could get to go and play are beautiful. You, you can play it for a long time. So, you know, do I, I'd love to play rugby, but you have to retire at 34, 35, right? So for me, um, golf has got longevity of career. Love it. What's your biggest pet peeve with CX as a business discipline? um it doesn't stand up for itself always it's a bit humble what's the one book you would recommend to the audience and why it doesn't have to be cx related oh i am not a big reader i'll confess so you know what i'm going to cheat a little bit on this okay rather than read books i'm a big news freak so i think you know, ingest, understand as much in the world that's going on around you, political, current affairs, business, sport. You'll learn an awful lot that way. What's your daily mantra? I don't have one, but if I was going to have one, it would be keep going. As an individual, I'm somebody that sometimes looks at things and thinks this is going to be a real tough, tough gig. So, you know, I think perseverance it's not the most exciting mantra, but if you've got an idea, you can apply it to a lot of things. If you've got an idea, a belief, a way of working, something that you think's going to work, keep trying with it. Um, have faith in it. Nice one. And tying into that last question, number one thing that was holding you back from becoming a leader in CX? Um, 
I think, again, it would be a little bit too humble and not appreciating the size and scope and scale that CX has now become. If you'd have said to me back in, let's say, 2010, where's this going to go? I'd never believed where it is now. I wish I'd have taken the plunge quicker, faster, harder. <laughs> I love that. We'll, we'll keep that as a motivational takeaway for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, Ben, thanks so much for joining the show. No problem. Thanks, Luke. And to everyone else, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you like what you heard, you can find us on LinkedIn, sharing CX insights from our various guests and building a CX community one episode at a time. Peace.